0: Defenders, I hope you're still enjoying our read aloud of Despro. Today we read chapters 30 and 31. Don't forget you can find your reading response journal at bit.ly forward slash vdpsprojectjournal. And now on to chapters 30 and 31 of The Tale of Despro. Chapter 30, To the Dungeon. At the castle, for the first time in her young life, Meg had enough to eat, and eat she did. She quickly became plump and then plumper still. She grew rounder and rounder and bigger and bigger, only her head stayed small. Reader, as the teller of this tale, it is my duty from time to time to utter some hard and rather disagreeable truths. In the spirit of honesty, then, I must inform you that Meg was the tiniest bit lazy, and, too, she was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. That is, she was a bit slow witted. Because of these shortcomings, Louise was hard pressed to find a job that Megory Sow could effectively perform. In quick succession, Meg failed as a lady in waiting, she was ca- caught trying on the gown of a visiting duchess, a seamstress, she sewed the cloak of the riding master to her own frock and ruined both, and a chambermaid, sent to clean a room. She stood open mouthed and delighted, admiring the gold walls and floors and tapestries, exclaiming over and over again, Gore, ain't it pretty? Gore, ain't it something then? and did no cleaning at all. And while Meg was trying and failing at these many domestic chores, other important things were happening in the castle. The rat in the dungeon below was pacing and muttering in the darkness, waiting to take his revenge upon the princess. Upstairs in the castle, the princess had met a mouse, and the mouse had fallen in love with her. Will there be consequences? You bet. Just as Meg's inability to perform any job well had its consequences. For finally, as a last resort, Mig- Louise sent Meg to the kitchen. Where Cook had a reputation for dealing effectively with difficult help. In Cook's kitchen, Meg dropped eggshells in the pancake batter. She scrubbed the kitchen walls with cooking oil instead of cleanser. She sneezed directly on the king's pork chop moments before it was to be served to him. Of all the good for nothings I have encountered, shouted Cook, surely you are the worst, the most cauliflower eared, the good for nothingest. There's only one place left for you the dungeon. Eh? shouted Meg, cupping a hand around her ear. You are being sent to the dungeon. You are to take the jailer his noonday meal. That will be your duty from now on. Reader, you must know the mice in the castle feared the dungeon. Must I tell you the humans feared it too? Certainly it was never far from their thoughts. In the warm months, a foul odor ran, rose out of its dark depths and permeated the whole of the castle. And in the still cold nights of winter, terrible howls issued from the dark place, as if the castle itself were weeping and moaning. It's only the wind, the people of the castle assured each other, nothing but the wind. Many a serving girl had been sent to the dungeon, bearing the jailer's meal, only to return, white-faced and weeping, hands trembling, teeth chattering, insisting they would never go back. And worse, there were whispered stories of those serving girls who had been given the job of feeding the jailer, who had gone down the stairs into the dungeon, and who had never been seen or heard from again. Do you believe this will be Mig's fate? Or, I hope not, what sort of story would this be without Mig? Listen, you cauliflower-eared fool, shouted Cook. This is what you do. You take the tray of food down to the dungeon and you wait for the old man to eat the food and then you bring the tray back up. Do you think you can manage that? Aye, I reckon so, said Mig. I take the old man the tray, he eats what's on it, and then I bring the tray back up. Empty it would be then. I bring the empty tray back up from the deep downs. That's right, said Cook. Seems simple, don't it? But I'm sure you'll find a way to bungle it. Eh, said Mig. Nothing, said Cook. Good luck to you. You'll be needing it. She watched as Meg descended the dungeon stairs. These were the very same stairs, Reader, the mouse desperate had been pushed down the day before. Unlike the mouse, however, Mig had a light. On the tray with the food, there was a single flickering candle to show her the way. She turned on the stairs and looked back at Cook and smiled. That cauliflower-eared, good-for-nothing fool, said Cook, shaking her head. What's to become of someone who goes into the dungeon smiling, I ask you? Reader, for the answer to Cook's question, you must read on. Chapter 31, A Song in the Dark The terrible, foul odor of the dungeon did not bother Mig. Perhaps that is because, sometimes, when Uncle was giving her good clout to the ear, he missed his mark and gave delivered a good clout to Mig's nose instead. That hop, happened often enough it interrupted the proper workings of Mig's olfactory senses. And so it was the overwhelming scent of despair and hopelessness and evil was not at all discernible to her, and she went happily down the twisting and turning stairs. Gore shouted, it's dark, ain't it? Yes, it is, Meg," she answered herself. But if I were a princess, I would be so glittery light-like, there wouldn't be a place in the world as dark to me. At this point, Meg risau broke into a little song that went something like this. I ain't the princess pea, but someday I will be. The pea-ha-ha, someday I will be. Meg, as you can imagine, wasn't much of a singer, more of a bellower, really. But in her little song, there was, to the rightly tuned ear, a certain kind of music. And as Meg went singing down the steps of the dungeon, there appeared from the shadows a rat, wrapped in a cloak of red and wearing a spoon on his head. Yes, yes, whispered the rat, a lovely song, just the song I've been waiting to hear. And Roscuro quietly fell in step beside miggery Sal. At the bottom of the stairs, Mig shouted out to the darkness, Gore, it's me, miggery Sal, most calls me Mig, delivering your food. Come and get it, Mr. Deep Downs. There was no response. The dungeon was quiet, but it was not quiet in a good way. It was quiet in an ominous way. It was quiet in the way of small, frightening sounds. There was a snail-like slither of water oozing down the walls, and from around a darkened corner there came the low moan of someone in pain. And then, too, there was the noise of the rats going about their business, their sharp nails hitting the stones of the dungeon, and their long tails dragging behind them through the blood and muck. Reader, if you were standing in the dungeon, you would certainly hear all of those disturbing and ominous sounds. If I were standing in the dungeon, I would hear those sounds. If we were standing together in the dungeon, we would hear those sounds and we would be very frightened. We would cling to each other in fear. But what did Miggy's owl hear? That's right, absolutely nothing. And so she was not afraid, not in the least. She held the tray up higher, and the candle shed its weak light on the towering pile of spoons and bowls and kettles. Gore said, "Mig, look at them things. I ain't imagine there could be so many spoons in the whole wide world. There is more to this world than anyone could imagine." A booming voice came from the darkness. True, true, whispered Screw, the old jailer speaks true. Gore, said Meg, who said that? And she turned in the direction of the jailer's voice.